The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All and Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Randy Christensen, the co-founder of Body Care Line Necessaire. Founded on the principle that products we use every day should make a true difference in our well-being and actually support our health, Necessaire body products are made using only clean and high quality ingredients that the body can actually use. The brand's position is that personal care is self-care and self-care is a necessity or rather, as they would say, necessaire. Mm -hmm. So Randy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to spend this time. I am as well. So where am I finding you? I am on, I'm in Los Angeles in, in an area called Manhattan Beach. Um, oh, beautiful. So, yeah, I know. So this is where I normally reside and, and, uh, and live our busy lives uh, as a mother of three. And I, I live here and love it very much by the ocean. Yeah, it's so pretty down there. So what's yeah. your current headspace with everything that's been going on? You know, it's been going in phases, right? We, we, we think back to March, I think the first six weeks on the pandemic was certainly such a human moment, right? With the team, is the team safe? Is the team good? Is is our people in a beautiful place? Uh, and are they getting set up to work from home? And, you know, fast forward to today, I feel, you know, we kind of have a new normal and we've sort of settled in to what life is like now, both from a working perspective, from a parent perspective, from a friend perspective, and we're finding sort of sort of new patterns. But my headspace is positive. I feel really humbled. I feel really good. I feel very happy to be in the self-care space at this point in time. I think in some ways this this sort of propels the importance of what necessary is trying to communicate, say, express with with all we do. Yeah, absolutely. What have been the things getting you through the pandemic? I think there's a couple of things that are and have been crucial for me. Number one has been family. I guess this is by far the number one, right? You 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 sort of settle in. I I have three children and we found a rhythm in the house and and we've, you know, we've had puzzles and dinners and, you know, made our own juices and and done all baked and done all the little things that we've all seen all over Instagram. But it's very true. We've done those sorts of things. The banana bread. Did you make the banana bread? Yeah, the banana bread. That <laughs> That sort of bucket of things in, in, in a weird way has been sort of charming and, and real fun. The second thing is very much my connection with nature. I think, you know, when you don't spend time going and seeing your friends being out, I've, I've taken some long walks by the ocean. I've, once I could get back up to my park up in Topanga, I've been up there and doing my hikes up to Eagle Rock and, and just sort of having a little bit of, of, of space and connectivity with nature, which is is something from my childhood and sort of growing up in Scandinavia that's been been crucial. And then, of course, the third, I would be silly if I didn't mention it, um, but I very much feel that the idea of self-care, the small rituals we have 
those me time moments in the shower, before you go to bed, your morning care ritual, all that just means a little bit more right now, given sort of a kind of joy, a kind of solitude and all the craziness. So I would yeah. say those, those three things for me has sort of come into play in a much louder way. I think they're always in my, my life, but they have a lot, of, lot more attention, if you will. They mean a lot more. I understand that. What do you miss most? Like what's Gosh. the first thing you want to do when you get out of this sheltering at home and you can resume or just go, you know, maybe it's not the old normal, but the new normal, what would you, what would be the first thing you would want to do? I mean, look, you know, there's nothing like time with your girls, right? There's nothing like time having, having a good group of girls, three, four, five, six of them and having a glass of wine and, and, and having that sort of intimate moment where you're hugging and laughing and doing all those things, right? I've been at a restaurant now, right, with the six feet between the tables and all that. But you know, you know that warm moment you have with your friend where you're just sort of sitting around a bottle of wine and, and chatting and laughing and not thinking about all of this. I think that, that I look forward to, one, and the same goes for my team, you know, gathering my team again, this idea of working remote and not seeing people and not sensing, are they okay, right? And how, 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 what does it feel like to sit in front of a screen all day and communicate this way? I think th- those two, and then of course, a little bit of travel doesn't hurt either, right? But, um, but the human aspect is Well, key. I imagine you have probably dual citizenship, yes? I do. I'm Danish and I'm American. Right. And you could kind of escape then if you wanted to. Could you have gone back home? I could have, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have. But now, as you know, it's it's a little bit hard to be to be American and and jump into the European Union or into the Scandinavian countries. It's um uh, it's one thing is citizenship, another thing is is where you're coming from, right? And where where you're traveling out of. So it's hard right now, despite being a Danish citizen. I'm sure I could get in. Right, Brandy. If I ha- if I had that citizenship, I would be on the road. I would have. Yeah. I would have <laughs> Every time that I'm seeing somebody's Instagram from you know all my European friends who seem to be resuming a little bit of, you know, normality and who are on what I wanted to be my summer vacation. I just cry a little inside from my my loved house in LA, but you know what? We're all healthy and, and that's the important thing right now, but it is, of course, travel is my own necessaire, you know? Yes, I know. There's something about traveling, right? It just sort of What's that famous saying from Hans Christian Andersen? That idea that to travel is to live. It's a famous right. quote, right? There, there's, there's a little bit of that, that adventurous aspect of life. And so I think we're missing that and, and, and just, you know, sitting at a cafe and speaking to strangers, right? And all that. I wonder what the person who said to travel is to live would think about what is to sit in one's house. Is that the opposite of living? I guess you know what it is. To sit in your house right now is to survive. And that's what yes. we're doing. And that's the most important. That's right. Yes. Well, Randy, I'm so happy to have you here. You know, one thing we love exploring is the idea that we get to design the type of life that we want to lead. And growing up for you, did you have a notion of what having it all look like to you? And is that something that you even bought into? Or is that more of an American ideal? Growing up in Scandinavia, was that something that was sort of a societal pressure in any way? I think it is perhaps more of an American idea. I think that's a fair statement. That being said, 
I very much sort of had the idea of, of having a career. I was the oldest of my sister and I, and, and was certainly raised in a family where, you know, education was king, being self-sufficient is king. You know, Scandinavia is a place where all women work because the countries, as you know, are small. So it sort of is a given as a Scandinavian woman that you're, you're going to end up in the workforce. I think for me, I had the idea of sort of the idea of it all was probably a beautiful career in a field that I loved, having a family, and in many ways, having a good balance. I think balance was probably at the top of the dialogue. I did not know it would be in beauty. I did not know it would land me here. I've always been a mini entrepreneur. I probably couldn't express it back then, but you know, I was the kid that made my own perfume and tried to sell it to every family member kind of thing, right? But I very much feel, I feel humbled to say, yes, in some ways I am living the life I envision. Does it require refinement at times? 100%. But it's a basic life, you know? It's a life of family, career, and some meaningfulness and impact. I love that. And I'm so interested as to, you know, being Danish and how how you ended up coming even to Manhattan Beach to the U.S. I would love to hear a little bit about what life was like for you growing up. Yeah, I grew up in Scandinavia. I'm Danish. I'm born and raised in Denmark. I came to the U.S. to play tennis initially when I was a sophomore, I guess the equivalent to a sophomore. I came to California for a year. And and later on, when I did some of my schooling, I, I would come back to the U.S. And long story, honestly, Sarah, I wasn't expecting, dreaming of, or you know, really envisioning ever going into beauty, but like with all things in life, it's it's often your network, your connections and your people that sort of open opens doors for you. And I had a very dear friend working at Estee Lauder and she she connected me to a few folks in there and that led to a 15 year long career uh, at the Estee Lauder companies most of which I spent in New York City, uh, which is where they're headquartered, um, working on a brand called Creme de la Mer. Oh, I know Creme de la Mer. It's a very special brand. And, and you know, honest, honestly, Estee Lauder is a, is a phenomenally and very, very special company. And it's an, honestly an honor to have had the opportunity to work there for, for so very long. And I I think, you know, I came to uh, the West Coast with Estee Lauder to work out here. I came here with my husband, three children. I since married a Texan and we we came out here. He was out here a lot for his work as well. And and that's where Nick and I met up, uh, Nick Axelrod and I, and Nick is my my co-founder of Necessaire. And I think he and I jumped to to Korea actually on a business trip and we were drinking some some cheap beer and and started to to chat about the dream and the idea of, of really launching a a personal care brand together. And, and sort of put a concept around Necessaire. And, and that led to about three years ago, we were very, very fortunate to raise a little bit of, of what's called seed money to get started. And we sort of had this vision, Sarah, of, of in this world of beauty, right, which is full of abundance, full of choice, to create something very curated, something very special, something very necessary. And this is kind of where our name came about this idea of a personal care line where, where things are necessary. And I, I think, you know, fast forward, you know, necessary has, you know, I say this all the time, it's, it's really and truly become the filter. Um, you know, A, how do we ensure that the product we, we bring into the market is necessary, the ingredient, the footprint, 
And I think that was one thing. And the other side for me, and this goes sort of back to this idea of being Danish and, and life there, which is very, very much anchored in this idea that the environment is a, is a very, very important stakeholder and always has been. So you kind of grow up with that compass, if you will. For me personally, sort of the, the pivot out of a, a company I loved, the job I loved at Estelada was very much the idea of overlaying sustainability into a category and into a into an industry that I loved. And so that idea of, of necessary products done sort of with, with integrity and with a focus on sustainability became sort of the umbrella theme. And then then we just had fun and we decided, look, body, body is always the last thought. It's always an afterthought. Let's, let's shine some light to it. Let's make it a first thought. Let's innovate around these products that we use all over, right? And, and Nick and I always like to say, you know, skin doesn't stop at the neck. We have fun with that, but it's very true, right? It's a sort of this idea that we could sort of make a splash and we could make an impact. And that led us to start, Sarah, with body, which... It's scary because if you think about body care, particularly in that sort of clean, effective, sustainable, prestige way, and you think back three years ago, that was sort of, well, wait a minute, you know, that's not a natural place to start. That's a natural place to end, perhaps, if you want to create a beauty brand. And we were like, no, let's go the opposite way. You were starting at the at the toes up. Yes. You're kind of coming up the body. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. That's very well said. So that's kind of our journey. And I, you know, we've had a fun start and we feel, I feel incredibly humbled. I love that. No. So you transitioned from tennis into beauty when you were working at Estee Lauder, were you on the product side or what part of, so for anyone who doesn't know, Estee Lauder is almost like a mothership, right? For multiple different brands, not just Estee Lauder, but like you said, they own Creme de la Mer. They own multiple brands. What are some of the other brands that they own? They own a brand like Mac um, mm-hmm. that might be or Clinique or Estee Lauder or La Mer. They do own some brands, Sarah. I am. The, the funny thing is when I came to Estee Lauder, I was blessed to go into what's considered a rotational program, which is kind of where you get a little bit of a flair, if you will, of, of sort of the different departments marketing, sales, you know, the different the different areas. And I ended up in the area of marketing, specifically product marketing first. I later, you know, was in strategy. I later was in integration. I later was in, in many different aspects of the business. And I, over my 15 years there, I really got to, to touch all levels of the business, if you will. Which is incredible. And I'm yes. sure has, has served you so well. And is that something that Estee Lauder does with all of their employees? Because that seems like a dream scenario, right? To be able to get a taste and also to get an understanding of what each department, what role they play in sort of the general wheel of productivity of a whole brand. Yeah. It gives you such a good advantage. First and foremost, when you work for a large company like Estee Lauder, in, in general, right, there's, there's always lots of opportunities to move around. You can move you can move between disciplines or you, you might be able to move between brands. And Estee Lauder does a, a really phenomenal job at that. If you have a little bit of that push in you and a little bit of that in, that initiative and a little bit of that, you know, hey, I want to try something new. And, and maybe there, there it is again, a little bit of that entrepreneurial hunger, right? Like I'm sort of, you know, I want to try something new here. They make that a possibility. It's not for everybody. Some people love what they do and want to do that for a really long time. And for other people like me, I wanted to sort of jump around a bit. 
That is so cool. So during that time, was the idea of starting your own personal care brand always something that was ruminating for you? Or was it something that upon meeting your partner, Nick, you guys melded all of your experiences and contacts and skill set to come up with? Or where did that idea come to life? I think it's it's a little bit of both. I mean, I've definitely, if, I think if you were to ask many of my my past colleagues, they would say, yeah, you know, Ran is what many of them would call me. Ran, Ran loved and wanted to start in a small brand and moved over to another sort of startup scenario. So, so inside Lauder, for sure, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to work on some of the, the smaller brands that grew to be big brands. So the idea of entrepreneurship, having my hands in everything, Sarah has sort of been with me from day one. And, and I think that's just not something you can teach somebody. You have to sort of have that hunger. And then I think you you meet somebody, you know, Nick and I met, and I think he was toying with an idea of a, of a men's line. And I was toying with the idea of, of more of a female play. And we sort of were like, wait a minute, we're both toying with ideas. How, how do we make one plus one equal two, right? And, and so it was sort of cumulative, if you will. I think the hunger is there and was there in each of us. And I think then you get the little push and a little courage when you meet somebody where you're like, let's just jump. Because, you know, it's, it's when you've been somewhere that you love and where you know everybody and where there's a sense of comfort, jumping out to a white piece of paper and, and nothing and all that comes with not knowing what's around the corner is, is hard and it's scary. Right. But also exciting. And I'm yes. sure after 15 years, you were ready for that was. challenge. What about for anyone who's listening? So Nick Axelrod, yeah. who's your partner, was, was he the editorial director at Into the Glass? Yes, he was. The, um, you know, such a coveted beauty site and was sort of one of the first big blogs, I guess, that Emily had started, right? Before she started Glossier. And yes. it was a go-to for all beauty lovers to see how-tos and tutorials and brand info and reviews. Yeah. So what's really awesome about Nick and I's combo is that Nick came to this with exactly as you articulated and sort of an editorial background, right? And I came to it from more of the, the classic brand and product side, right? And the honest truth is, Sarah, that in today's world, creating a brand, you do need both. It's no longer enough to just have a product. It's also no longer enough to just have a story. You have to have a phenomenal product and you have to have a phenomenal way to articulate that. I always say this, Nick is an amazing co-founder. We laugh all the time about, you know, how we come to things with different lenses, right? But oftentimes it's it's that sort of critical push-pull between two founders that makes it good. Right. That's so cool to meet your sort of partner in crime because anyone who has started a business knows that you're going to be in the trenches. And yeah. You may as well have somebody in there who not only has you know, a different and complementary skill set from you, but somebody that you're going to be able to have those laughs with sometimes mm -hmm. rather than crying, right? Mm -hmm. In building a brand for you, Randy, was sustainability and using clean ingredients always in your vision? And if so, why, why was that important to you? Yes, clean, effective and sustainable and sort of the idea of necessary embodying all three was what we scribbled on a piece of paper and what still sits as our core statement of why we exist today. I think, look, in 2017, when we were concepting Necessaire, I think it was a given that we would be clean, right? At that point, honestly, Sarah, the truth of the matter is that there was tons of 
clean brands popping from every side. And, and I think it's what Nick and I each wanted to buy. And, and it's just sort of was a natural. We were drinking matchas and doing juice cleanses and all that. So to us, that was sort of check a given. I think what was not a given, I think what was an overlay and, and sort of is, is what pulls my heartstrings and what honestly made me jump out and, and start a business was this back to this idea of impact. Um, and I think the idea of really making an environmental impact with a brand is what excites me and is what gets me up every morning. And that is something back to your question about what did I envision a long time ago back to impact? I think the environment has sort of been, been with me forever. Now, the honest truth at the same time is that I've had to learn a lot these last three years about what, what does that sort of idea really mean and how do you bring that into action and how are you transparent and honest about it? And I would say that there is a lot of good necessary done and there's a lot of work that necessary still has to do. And I think what I really have learned from being a member of 1% for the planet, being on panels, speaking to colleagues that are far ahead of necessary, is that this is just not a destination. It's loud now, right? It's coming to all of us. I think we're feeling the impact of, of nature being pressured and we all want to do better. So I love this. And the more brands that comes into the space, the better, right? It's, it's the next thing after clean. I love what you said for two reasons. Number one is that I think that having that ethos as being one of the driving forces of what started the brand and what, you know, the positioning that you wanted for the brand to stand on, but also as you build community and you engage in conversation and dialogue with your clients and your customer, that you come from the vantage point of we are doing our best but we're learning as we go. So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, speaking of having it all end other lies, you know, I recently read that the law governing our 60 plus billion dollar industry is literally only one and a half pages of legislation that allows known carcinogens in the products we use every day, allows a lot of really unhealthy products to be sort of seeping into our homes and our lifestyle and on our children every day. And What's up with the fact that this industry is largely still so unregulated? And I imagine that's something you must have been acutely aware of working at these big brands before that, like, I want to get rid of these, these lines under my eyes and I want the best cream. But unknowingly, I also am potentially putting terrible products into my bloodstream, right? Yeah, that's true. And so you're kind of touching upon the clean aspect. And what's really, really interesting is this is an area where the Europeans, right? are Of course, so far ahead of us, right? Yeah, are so far ahead of us. So I think one of the great things about actually an inherent plus of starting a business today and being globally minded, wanting to ship to France or the United Kingdom or Scandinavia is that if you kind of look at that European cluster of ingredients that are simply not allowed, you land very close to what we call clean, plus, you know, a good group of some other ingredients, right? But I think yes is the answer to your point. I could not agree more with you. Like, what is up, right? That's kind of it. And, and it's, it's like- It's terrible. What, you know, it's it like all terrible. these things we're being told. 
even in the whole notion of self-care, you know, but at the same time, it's so contradictory. If you really look at like some of those companies, obviously, and you guys don't stand alone in the clean space. Although what I think that you're doing so well is really melding a real sort of luxury looking product. But it is, it's we're getting this mixed messaging because we're being told to do all these things. And then really like half of the products that are being sold to us by some of those same companies are really damaging to us long-term. Yeah. Look, I look to companies such as, you know, Beauty Counter, right? I mean, what Greg and that team has done is, you know, really an inspiration for all of us because not only are they selling clean, beautiful products, but they're also advocating for... Right, and pushing for legislation. Yeah, they are. And I think what's really awesome uh, about social media and about this push in clean is uh, it will come because it will come from all of us. Asking for it, delivering it, pushing for it, stating the agenda. And you need pioneers like Beauty Counter to do that. And then you have companies like Sephora, right? Necessary is, is very lucky to be in Sephora now to stepping in, supporting it, marketing it, branding it, labeling it, making it clear to the client, this is what's in, this is what's out, and this is why. And so you have your retail, you brands, and you have people. And now you and I are chatting about it, right? Like that big ecosystem will drive the chains and legislation is just sort of, the, it's coming at the end of the journey. And so I think this change is, is a given. But what I've loved Sarah, about the work in sustainability is that there's so much more than the packaging. We do a lot in packaging. So not to say we don't do anything, we do a ton. But beyond that, there's climate neutrality. There's 1% for the planet and earth tax. There is creating necessary things because abundance is the worst issue for sustainability over consumption. There's so many things to this. It's so multi-layered that that's exciting too, right? And clean and sustainability goes hand in hand. Yeah. And absolutely. I imagine also for you, it's like, not only are you part of this journey for this new brand, right? Which is an extension of, like you said, you and Nick sort of focusing on starting at the toes up and really targeting the body rather than, you know, everything that is being messaged to us about just sort of working on your face, but also feeling like there is such a sense of purpose to what you're doing on a bigger level in terms of not only just your environmental impact, but right now, I think it's interesting that we find ourselves at a moment where, you know, at the beginning of the conversation in March, it was about what is essential, right? And I love that necessary goes along with what is essential. And I, I think self-care right now feels like an exercise in self-preservation against all of the cortisol that is running through our bodies on extra, like high speed every day. But I wonder for you working in your business, and I know you have three children, how much do you, do you practice what you preach and how do you find the time to do so? And what are things that you like to do to implement the notion of self-care into your personal life? Number one, I don't always practice what I preach because it is not always a possibility as a mother of three and trying to start a business and, and all the other stuff that you well know we all have on our plates. Um, I have a super, super simple morning ritual. So my morning ritual is one of those things that is fast. Cleanse, moisturize, mascara if I'm lucky, and off we go, right? So super, super fast. 
I think my, my evening ritual, the way I sort of close the day, I like to end the day with a water ritual of sorts. I always say to people, I aspire for the bath and end in the shower, right? Kind of a thing. I love that. <laughs> That's the honest truth. But actually my evening rituals, this idea of sort of washing off the day and, and, and that moment is one I've taken very seriously. And it started to mean a little bit more in this time. And it's, that's when I have my self-care moment, if you will. And that makes sense. And I love, I love what you're saying about aspiring for the bath, but ending up in the shower, I think is such a good metaphor for what we're all trying to do and doing the best that we can. I love the products, Randy. So you guys started out with, was it the... We started out with the body wash, the body lotion and a sex gel, right? So talking about having a little bit of fun too with the toes up. I think one of the things that we that we also wanted to, to really chat about is like, how do we define body care? Body care can be so much more than a body wash and a body lotion, right? It's, it's kind of this idea of all the things we do with our body. Um, and that's how Nick and I ended up in this, this place of like, let's, let's do a loop. Let's do a sex gel. Let's have some fun with this. Which was my first necessary product, actually. Ooh, that was my good. first that was my first purchase through Violet Gray. And also what got me at that time too was just the sophisticated packaging and not looking at some nasty looking lube that you're gonna put in your bedside you are, right? I know. We laugh about that all the time. Yeah. So the packaging is with me and I gosh, I mean, I spend a, a lot of time on packaging because here's what I believe. You can create the most beautiful product. And you can establish all these gorgeous words around it. However, there is this thing about design, right? This idea of graphic design, the way things feel, the way they click, the way they look, that we might not express when we buy something, but it's why we choose one thing over another. And so I, I very much believe that the time spent on designing something that might not be for everybody, but that we believe are aesthetically uh, gorgeous matters. And so we like to say the way it feels matters and the way that it looks matters too, particularly for these huge objects that are in your bathroom, right? They're not, they're a little bit bigger in a way. They mean a little bit more. So we spend a lot of time on that, Sarah, and thank you for noticing it. Of course. Well, I'm, I'm your target consumer then, if that's, if that's the case. And I feel like that maybe also comes from your Scandinavian upbringing too, right? In terms of Probably. just- an eye towards aesthetics and design and the idea also of nurturing your own body. And I was speaking with somebody who's sort of an Ayurvedic practitioner who was talking about just the ritual act of even rubbing lotion on your body and like, you know, the bigger sort of holistic notion of self-care and self-love mm -hmm. that even that touch towards yourself, you know, has such positive impact on your sense of security and, you know, and your sense of confidence but so often we're just rushed out the door. But what I love about your lotion so much is that you can do so and you can put it on really quickly and it really absorbs in the most fantastically moisturizing way. This is not a hashtag ad. I'm telling you this. <laughs> I love the lotion so much for that reason. And then you actually feel like your skin is retaining the moisture throughout the day, which is the best thing ever. Yeah, it's awesome. It has a lot of niacinamide in it, which is amazing for the barrier of skin. It's a phenomenally great product if you're into scent-free lotion, right? I don't think we knew when we developed that, that it would sort of take on the life it's, it's taken on, Sarah. And, and I want to make sure I express this. It's, it's very humbling when somebody loves something you create, right? It's one of those moments where you are like, well, wait a minute. 
this is why we did all this work. And it, it's a happy moment. Not everything you love is always going to be love. But when you try and it clicks, it's, it's pretty fun. So thank you for those. Words. Oh my I mean, gosh. I'm so happy. Of course. And they are all a hundred percent true. And I love, I love the sense that you do use like the bergamot. And I know that they're all natural scents, right? There's no synthetic fragrance, yeah. which is also incredible because that's one of the biggest, I think, hormone and endocrine disruptors, right? Is the use yeah. of fragrance, which I hate because I, I am such a fragrance person. I love it. I love scent too in, in some products, but I think scent, yeah, synthetic fragrance is complicated. Uh, let's just leave it at that. But one of the things we did was we created a scent-free version in everything because we believe there's there's a space for both and and that's worked out well. And I, back to that water ritual, like that moment with eucalyptus or sandalwood pending on the oh, day. Oh, I is, love those scents. Yeah, they're good. You know what I mean? It's just as a, it's that aromatherapy moment that just makes you feel something. No lie, your voice counts. So this is just a friendly reminder to make sure that you are registered to vote in the upcoming elections this November. Please text the word voter to 26797 to check your registration. You will also receive reminders for all local, state, and federal elections and your polling locations. Don't forget to follow I Am A Voter for more civic engagement opportunities. Listen, obviously, I love your product so much and I love everything that you guys are doing with the with the brand and I know how busy you are and I'm sure that you have found ways during this time to sort of pivot the business and I don't know if it's been an interesting insight because I do feel like self-care is something that people have leaned into even potentially a bit more, you know, while being locked in their homes. And maybe it's been a time for people to kind of reassess priorities and to look into taking better care of themselves rather than the sort of frantic, frenetic pace that we were racing around at. I wonder for you as a mother, which you referenced because you have three girls. I do. Yes. I have three daughters. How old are your daughters? 12, 12 and 13. Oh, you have twins. Yes. I had one and twins. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't by design. It was by, it was by luck. I don't know if you're familiar with the notion of, you know, a woman's life being sort of like a stovetop, right? Where you can't necessarily have all of the burners going at equal flame all of the time, because, you know, it's hard to be operating at full capacity in all of these facets of your life simultaneously. And I wonder for you, do you ever feel that you were sort of crushing it in one department and something else is suffering? Or how do you find that you create balance in your life? I got to tell you, first and foremost, I am not mastering all of this, but there is one thing that I draw upon and that I, that I think in some ways my parents gave me. So I'm, my father is a doctor and was working pretty crazy when I was a kid. And I think what I learned, though, was that when he was with me, which was not as much um, as my mother or as much as most other parents, was that I really mattered. And so I kind of try to hold on to that notion, Sarah, and I please know I don't always master it, but I, I do sort of say, okay, this is, this is the hour I have with my children. I really look at them and I really listen to them and I really sort of say, all right, I want to get a little bit under their skin in that hour. 
And sometimes I master it and now it's getting harder because they don't really want me to get under their skin because they're running off and wanting to be with their friends. But I think back to your stove analogy, this the idea, at least with for me being a mother and starting to do these other things, the idea of being a lot for a few and the idea of focusing in and honing in and, and, and having a value add exchange, if you will is sort of what I double click on. And I don't always master this, please know that. But I do feel that when I've had 30 minutes of quality chat or maybe a solo dinner with one of my kids, which I try to do once a month, if I have something like that, there's like that little moment of connection because the rest of the time, you know, it is a chaotic, crazy thing. And now with everyone schooling at home, I mean, I didn't know I would be a teacher too. I mean, here we all are with as moms trying to, run a business and be on conference calls or do what or Zoom calls, sorry, or whatever it might be. And then you have three other computers going and your husband is on a call and your dog is running in. You know it. I was late today because I was being an English teacher for one of my pupils. Which is amazing. And I just wanted you to know that the one thing I hold on to is, and I test myself on and I go back and ask myself, is like, okay, what was the, what was the 30 minute quality check in I had? And oftentimes it doesn't take that much more than that, you know. And the other thing I'll tell you when when I had the twins that I learned was to ask for help. It's a big, big lesson. I did not, I was not good at that before. And I just was like, wait a minute, I have three babies and divers. I have three carriers. I'm going to the doctor. I, I just, I can't physically do this. You were actually outnumbered. I was outnumbered. So I just kind of learned to ask for help. And, and that sort of stuck with me as well. I loved what you said about wanting to get under your children's skin sometimes, but you also have this like incredible kind of crowdsourcing exercise in your own home, right? With three preteen girls, I imagine, do you want to get necessary on their skin as well? And do they feedback a lot and are they into the <laughs> products? And They have been awesome. They certainly are engaged and you know, they're sweet. They know what I'm working on and they come up and they give me they give me a moment of encouragement here and there. But if you ask me, I think they use the body wash and the deodorant on a regular, daily, consistent basis. The rest is like, if we're lucky. You know, Randy, you said something earlier that I was not aware of, which you said, I'm sure in Scandinavia, you know, all women work. And I didn't know that. So mm. is that, you said, because it's such a small country, but what does that mean specifically in terms of the family dynamics there or how yeah. is it set up, you know, versus here in the US? I know that we don't really have any sort of government subsidized childcare or anything that's set up to help assist mothers go back to work. But I know it's quite different, right, in terms of Scandinavia, but how, what is the system there for working mothers and the family dynamic? So if you look at a country like, like Denmark, I think if you go back in time, I think after the Second World War, I think most, most all women went into the workforce, I think, frankly, for the economy to sort of be, be sufficient. And it goes back to the word we spoke about, about balance. I think that the idea of what does a workday look like looks a little bit different there. Like I think this idea of a 40-hour work week is really much the real deal. And it's not 80 and it's not 75 and it's not really above that. And there's this sort of cultural understanding that, you know, there's family life, there's weekends, there's these sorts of things. And I 
fail at this all the time here in in the U.S. because I've been so Americanized that I find myself working day, night, in between, and at at all times. So there's a little bit just of that because everybody shuts it off. Does that make sense? So it this it sort of is a is a common thing. The second thing is it's just so much easier, I think, to be a woman there having a child. And and frankly, for the fathers as well, you get paid leave in a completely different way when you first have the child. You can stay home for much longer. First, the mother typically, then the dad takes the second shift. Uh, they both have paid off time as an option. It's a requirement if you have a company there to offer that. I think childcare is readily available. It's available at some companies, if you wish, but it's also readily available for everybody. It's a different thing, um, but it's also a more socialized place, right? Pay a lot more in tax and there's a, the whole system is structured differently. So there's a lots of pluses to that. Not to mention all the gorgeous blondes, right? I know, there's blondes and brunettes. There's definitely some cute girls, yeah. And the hege, is that what it's called? Yeah. Hygge, hygge. Hygge, hygge. Wait, say it again. Hygge. And the hygge. Mm. So the hygge is the idea of a candlelight sitting around a table and doing nothing. Ah. That's what it is. Bring me that. I need a little bit. I need a little less chaos in my life and a little bit more hygge. They say, right, that this is one of the reasons the Danes are so happy is that they sort of have that built in to life, which is the idea of a cozy, comfortable moment of doing little. It's like um, the Italians, le dolce par niente. It is. That's exactly right. The sweetness of doing nothing. Yeah, I think we need to incorporate thing. that here into our U.S. our U.S. existence, our American, our American ideals of working mm-hmm. and success and happiness and everything else. I'm reading a great book called "The Importance of Doing Nothing." Something, something about doing nothing, and it's great. It's that concept. So, Randy, for a segment that we call the Riff, I want to know what you know. I know you have your morning rituals, but what is your go-to product or service or practice? that makes your life a little bit better or a little bit easier? Do you have any shortcuts that you want to share with us? Any secrets? Certainly what makes my morning fast, easy, but also very effective from a self-care and skincare perspective is just a simple sort of two, three-step morning ritual of cleansing, washing your face. And if you don't have a cleanser, do it with ice cold water. And then investing in moisture. This is going to be my tip. Hydrate, 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 hydrate your skin. This is the tip to healthy skin. You can do that with an oil. You can do that with a moisturizer. I love a hyaluronic acid in all areas. This is why we have a hyaluronic acid serum. It's, it's a really, really powerful ingredient. And I don't need to call out a brand because it's, it's there for you at, at all different areas. But I think the one tip is... A fast morning step is fine, but overinvest in your oil or your moisturizer. I think if you look at healthy, glowing skin, those, those two things will do the trick. So Randy, knowing what you know today, launching your own business, having a family, living in Manhattan Beach and being close to the water, are your ideals of what having it all the same that they were for you growing up? Or has your energy or priority shifted? Or how would you say it's different? And what does having it all look like to you today? You know, there's a quote. I forget who say it. Maybe it's Winston Churchill. You know, whatever you are, be a good one. 
Was it Lincoln? I think you're right. But the idea of the what, having a career that meaning, that's meaningful, having relationships that's meaningful, have a family is meaningful and is well-functioning. Yes, all those things holds true. But the understanding of the how, right? How it comes together, what's the energy of it all? Like what's the soul in it all? What's the, the heartstrings in it all? I don't think when I was younger, I was able to articulate. And I think that that quote sort of summarizes it for me now. I think the older I get, right, the more I really feel that, you know, focus and, and doing a few things and being a lot for a few and trying to be good at the things you do choose to put your energy behind. Still not mastered and I maybe never will, but I, I, I strive for that. And I don't think I was able to articulate that many moons ago. I think, yes, the what, the how is the magic, right? It's the, it's the heart in it all. And that to me is the unlock of just joy. And so do I have balance? Some days. Um, have I figured it all out? No, but that's also the joy of life, right? It's what's around the corner is the fun. But I do know now that honing in on something, focusing on something, following your heart, and, and going after that is super important. That the core of it all. And living with your life and purpose on impact, like yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. I love that. Randy, what's next for Necessaire? Are there new products that we can be expecting? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Thank you. Um, I look, there's so much, there's so much going on. We have a lot of work going on in, in our sustainability world. We're gonna be sharing very soon in the early uh, months of next year who we're going to partner with for our 1% commitment. We work a lot on the next generation of packaging efforts. So you'll hear about that. And then I think from a product and content side and brand, wink, wink, we're working on something above the neck and it's, oh boy. And it's not skincare. So uh, there, there is something fun coming from the brand in, at some point in the near future. I feel like it's a riddle. It's like above the yeah. neck, but it's not skincare. <laughs> I, it's going to keep me up at night. I'll have to message you separately to see if I'm right. Yes. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to use more. And I love the brand. Where can people find Necessaire? Where can they follow along on the journey? You definitely join our community and, and come and chat with all of us. Um, at Necessaire and Instagram and Twitter on Facebook. It's just at Necessaire. The brand is sold at obviously necessaire.com. It's sold in Violet Gray, as you mentioned, in Goop, in Sephora, and in Nordstrom. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Randy, and I hope you get that bath. Yeah, say I will. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. I love hearing from you guys. So please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. In the meantime, we will look forward to seeing you next week.